Pastor Ed Taylor has this to say about God's discipline in our lives. Sometimes you think of God's discipline of his disapproval of you, but no, he approves of you. He doesn't approve of the sin in your life. He loves you. And not all hard times come as a direct result of your sinful choices. That's a false concept of God. Hard times come to us all. And sometimes God will even send us into a storm, allow a horrendous trial to enter our lives in order to discipline and train us to follow him. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You laid down your life. That I would be set Like any good parent, God disciplines his children, sometimes as a consequence for wrong behavior, other times to develop us into the person he wants us to be. So rather than despise it, we should learn to embrace it and even be thankful for it. Today's Abounding Grace will help us gain that much needed perspective. Pastor Ed Taylor is in Hebrews chapter 12. Here's a big issue among us, church. We have forgotten that God disciplines us. That God disciplines us. That's what the word chasten means. We don't use that word very often. Instead, think of it of training or discipline. Think, think of it in the, in the realm of God entering into your life to bring about correction through pain. And he uses the word, notice, chastening, rebuked, scourged. These are heavy words. God will literally bring about pain in your life and mine to get us on the right course. And he uses this familiar picture of a parent. Every parent can understand the discipline of their children. Every parent understands that. And if you don't have children right now, you were a kid one time, you understand discipline. You understand what it means to do something wrong and receive the consequence from it. You understand that there were times when your parents needed to get involved in your life and bring about discipline to get you back on track. And this is a great problem in the church. We have forgotten that God will discipline us. You know, God disciplines countries for turning their back on him. God disciplines homes and families. God disciplines men and women. And God disciplines children when they turn their back upon him. Listen, God will not let his kids get away with anything. He will not wink at any sin and just ignore it. Even when it seems like everyone else can get away with it, if you are a son or daughter of God, you will not get away with sin in your life. God will bring about the necessary discipline on top of the difficulties, on top of the effort, on top of the warfare, on top of the difficult culture, all of that. On top of all that, God will still bring about the discipline that's needed for you and I to be conformed into the image of Christ. And here's the issue with the Hebrews. It may be an issue with you. All of the issues in your life have clouded your vision of remembering that God loves you and discipline is a part of his love. That's what he says in verse 6. Whoever God loves, whoever Jehovah loves, he disciplines. He disciplines them. Sometimes you think of God's discipline of his disapproval of you, but no, he approves of you. He doesn't approve of the sin in your life. He loves you. 
And not all hard times come as a direct result of your sinful choices. That's a false concept of God. Hard times come to us all. And sometimes God will even send us into a storm, allow a horrendous trial to enter our lives in order to discipline and train us to follow Him. And so he tells these Jewish believers here in Hebrews, don't interpret all the difficulties in your life as if God doesn't approve of you. This is earth. It's hard. Even Jesus endured hostility from sinners nailed to a cross. The choices that you made to follow Jesus have brought you in line with pains and problems that he faced. You're following in pain and difficulty. You're following in the footsteps of Jesus. And here's a problem, a challenging problem. It's easy in difficult times to sit around and start feeling sorry for yourself. Well, woe is me. It's so hard. I'm the only one that's suffering. It's not worth it. Following Jesus have made things worse. Hey, if you're in a position right now that life is so hard that you've fallen into this funk of, hey, sitting around feeling sorry for yourself, you need to be careful because everything you hear while you're feeling sorry for yourself is a lie. It turns your heart against God. It makes you the center of the world and the situation. And God wants you to look up, not look in. He wants you to look up. He wants you to gain the right perspective that God is working all things together for the good for those that love him. Sometimes the difficulties in your life are just simply the chastening, disciplining hand of God. He brings discipline into your life and mind to train us and teach us, even though that can be very, very painful. This word discipline speaks of training of a child. Sometimes the training comes as a consequence of our own bad behavior. Other times it's a discipline to keep us from far worse Sometimes it's simply to develop us and make us better in serving him. Whatever it is, whatever the reason, when it comes, the Bible says, don't despise it. Don't despise the chastening of God. Embrace it. Why? Because it reminds you that you're loved. Notice verse 7. If you endure chastening, then you know God's dealing with you like a son. For what son is there whom a father doesn't chasten? Verse 8. But if you're without chastening, of which all have become partakers, then you're illegitimate and not sons. Furthermore, we've had human fathers who corrected us, and we paid them respect. Shall we not much more readily be in subjection to the Father of spirits and live? For they indeed for a few days chastened us, as seemed best to them, but he for our profit, that we may be partakers of his holiness." Now no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Let me just say at the outset here that I know this can be a very hard comparison for some of you listening in. For many of you, because you didn't have the best dad growing up. Or the best example of a father. You may have been abused or misused or neglected or severely wounded. And the idea of a father and a father's discipline really messes with your head and messes with your emotions. So to think of God as a father, it just doesn't, you just can't put the pieces together because you haven't had the right example. If that's you, let me just say I'm sorry that you've had to endure that kind of difficulty in your life. I mean, even those that may have had the best dad still had an imperfect dad. 
But some of you, you experienced the worst of the worst, and we're sorry for that. Because God never intended for this important role to be so twisted for you. I'm sorry that your dad misrepresented a very important role in your life and mine. So important that God uses it as a picture of our relationship with him. So our real example is not our human dad, but our heavenly father. Not our human dad, although as it says here, even our human dads tried to chasten us. They did it what, they, what was best for them. What, what they felt was best for the family. I understand that. As a dad myself, having raised my children now into adult, and my oldest would be 34 this year, and I have other kids that are in their 20s. I get it now as I see that chastening. And a lot of times when I would bring discipline into my kid's life, I would have the right reason, but I would do it wrong. I would have a selfish motive perhaps, or I'd be upset or angry or aggravated when the goal was to train my kid, but oftentimes that would come from a place, a position like it says here, what I thought was best. But see, our Father in heaven, he does for our profit, not what he, not, not as a dad, like what I think best is for the family. No, when God disciplines us, it's so that we might partake of holiness. We might be more usable. What Paul is saying here is that your perfect example is found in God. And he's disciplining you because he loves you. And that's truly the motive of parents. Our desire is because we love our kids. We want them to grow up to love God. The Bible says in Proverbs 22 verse 6, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Ephesians chapter 6 verse 4, and you fathers do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The primary source of training in a child's life comes from parents that love their children. And it's evidence that you are their mom and dad. Like, like, I don't have permission to discipline your kids. You would not be very happy. Now, some of you said, oh, no, Ed, please do. No, I'm not going to take that. I don't have, they're not my kids. Now, I would influence them, come alongside of them, point them to the Lord, but they're your kids. So anything I do in their life is secondary to the role that you have. And I certainly will te- talk, I'll speak the truth in love to your kids, and I'll help them get on track for sure. But it's your prime. You are not responsible to raise my kids. I'm responsible to raise my children. And if you go through life and your parents let you get away with anything, because that is, you know, a philosophy of parenting in our world today. Ah, just let them do whatever. Let them find their own way. No. Parents were put in children's life to train them in the right way and show them the wrong way. There is a right way and there is a wrong way to live life. God has revealed it in his word. And even though the world will throw their kids away, we will not. And not only that, we will step in and minister to the kids that their parents have just turned on them. And we'll help and we'll serve. You know, if you don't, you don't receive discipline from your parents, they're not demonstrating love to you. They're not, that, that makes sense. It just makes common sense. It's just so logical. When your kids start playing with fire or want to run on E-470 and play tag, any good parent would say, no. With great force. I won't let you do it. You'll even chase after them. You don't just let your kids play with snakes at the, at the Denver Zoo, you know. Oh, go ahead. Climb the fence. Tell me how the lion is doing. And that's what Daniel did. No. No, the Lord has put you in their lives to train them. Another philosophy of parenting today is this sense of, well, you know, I don't really want to discipline my kids. What my kids need is a friend. So I'm going to be my kids' friends. 
They do not need you as their friends until you parent them. That's the right order. You are the only parents they have. They can have a thousand kids on the block, but they need you to parent them. You parent them first, and then very naturally over time, you begin to befriend them, and the relationship changes. But you can't just abandon your parenting. God put you in their lives to lead, train, develop, and even discipline your children. Notice verse 10. This phrase just jumped off the page as I consider my own parenting. In verse 10 it says, For they, speaking of human parents, indeed for a few days chastened us. You might want to mark that, a few days. You know why? Because it speaks of a short amount of time. It's not even a week he's using. Just a few days. He's saying the time that you have to discipline your kids is a short amount of time. It's just a few days. And I'm telling you, kids grow up fast. You blink your eye and before you know it, they're out of the house, they're married with kids, and they're moving on. It happens just like that. And in that short amount of time you have influence in them, you need to train them in the ways of the Lord, which means you need to know them and live them yourself. You can't just bark orders at your kids. You need to give that example, that example of what it is to follow the Lord, to give yourself wholly over to Him, to know that God is doing a great work in your life. And as a dad, I know it was just for a while It went by so quickly. And when I chastened my kids and I disciplined my kids, it wasn't easy. Not not even including the mistakes that I would make in disciplining them, it wasn't easy. And I know we all kind of grew up with this. I certainly did. I remember a distinct time when I got in such big trouble, my dad was going to spank me and he pulled out this card that said, oh, it's going to hurt me more than it's going to hurt you, son. And I'm like, well, then let's switch places. Like, let's just flip this around. But I know, what he, I know what he meant. It is a painful thing to discipline your kids. I, I can remember occasions with my own kids where we had a trip planned. We were going to go somewhere, and one of the kids uh, did something. And as a part of the consequence, the whole trip had to be canceled. And that was hard. Not only did we all want to go on it, but I wanted them to go on it. I wanted them to enjoy it. I mean, that's really the heart of a parent. I I want my kids to enjoy all the benefits of following God, all the benefits of obedience, all the benefits of what God says. And it's painful to bring about discipline and go, you know what? I wanted the best for you. you. You didn't even want the best for you as you chose your own way. I think of that as a pastor as well. My role sometimes is to bring hard information to you to admonish you, to exhort you, to encourage you, to instruct you. It's not always well received. It's not always liked. But if I'm going to demonstrate my love to you, then I'm going to tell you the truth. If I didn't tell you the truth, then you would question whether I care about you or not. I mean, if I lie to you all the time, you're like, ah, I'm not going to follow that guy. He's lying to me. He just lets things go. He doesn't care. But instead, I need to step into your life carefully and gently in love but talk to you about the realities of what God's Word says about a particular situation. Whether that's from the pulpit or it's privately or personally, I must speak forth the Word of God. And sometimes it feels like you're being chastened or disciplined. But it's hard. It's difficult. I'm in a role where, and I'm sure you or many of you are in a role where I have to make hard decisions, challenging ones. And even though I don't make always, I don't always make the right decisions, God's discipline is always perfect. 
And he does it from a motive of love. And it's just, you know, hey, it's only for a few days you have that chance with your kids. But notice in verse 10, when God disciplines, it's for our profit. It's always going to benefit us. And we can be partakers of his holiness. And then verse 11 is like the, one of the most biggest understatements of all the Bible, isn't it? No discipline seems to be joyful for the present, but grievous. Can you say an amen to that? I was like, man, of course. I hate being disciplined. I don't like it. It's not fun. I'm not smiling through it. It's grievous. Even as I don't like getting shots. When the doctor, I went recently to a doctor appointment and she offered me, well, you know, it's been a certain amount of years before you got this certain shot. Do you want it? And I'm like, are you giving me a choice? No, I don't want it. I don't want anything to do it. But then she got her way anyway. She wrote her little thing, sent me downstairs so that my, my blood could be drawn. So doctor's going to get it one way or another. And as she, the gal was doing my blood work, she could see it on my face. She goes, you know, you don't have to watch this. You can look away. I said, oh, I'll look away. And if I could t cut my arm off and leave it here, I'd give it to you. So, because I hate needles. But as much as I hate needles, I really don't like the discipline of the Lord. That's worse than needles. Because it's challenging. It reminds me that I've gotten off track. It's reminding me that I haven't been abiding in Christ. That I haven't been trusting him. So it's not joyful. And while it might not be joyful for you, it is joyful for God because he's developing you. You know, as a parent disciplining your kids, like, it's not like you're throwing a party about it, but you're grateful that when your child learns, because really the association of chastening with a child, and it's with us as well, is to associate pain with sin. Because if they don't learn it in the home, they're going to learn it the hard way in the world. The world will tell very quickly that sin leads to pain. The world will validate 100% the Bible truth that says that the wages of sin is death. Absolutely. It's a painful way to learn things the hard way or to learn things on the street. We need to teach our kids that association of pain with sin in the home so that when they are tempted with greater things, they can say, no, I don't want to go that way. And while it's not so joyful for you and me, it is for God, because from God's perspective, he's making you stronger and making you wiser and more capable for the next phase of your life and ministry. He's developing you and me deeply because he loves you. I know we don't always like it. I know we don't always want it, but we always need it. And we should be thankful for the discipline of God as a reminder of his love for us. Let me show you this before we close. Would you turn over to Luke chapter 6? I love this verse Jesus taught us. So vital, so important to remember this. Luke chapter 6, when you get there, pick up in verse 39. Luke 6 verse 39. Jesus is teaching here and he says, Can the blind lead the blind? Will they not both fall into the ditch? And then verse 40. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained will be like his teacher. When the training is complete, you will be like your teacher. You will be conformed in the image of Christ. But when you bring that here in the human realm, that's why we need to be careful in choosing our human teachers. We need to be abundantly careful, those in the human realm of life. Why? Because whoever we give our ear to, we're going to become like them. We're going to become like our teachers. That's the danger of just listening to some guy on the radio or listening to some guy on YouTube or listening to some gal on television. You have to understand, you, you need to know the person. See their character. Interact with them. 
Because if you just, your ears tickled by some guy, some gal, and you start listening and start listening, start listening, you watch out, you're going to become just like them. You're going to sound like them. You're going to act like them. You're going to spout off like them. But see, when you have a teacher that's been given to you by God, you are going to find a man or a woman that will take you past themselves to the very presence of the Lord. And you'll become like the Lord. I know it's important for me regularly to remember to lead you past me and into the arms of Jesus Christ. Because you know what? You need him. You don't need me. You need the Lord high and lifted up in your life, looking unto him, considering him. And anyone that stands in this pulpit representing God to you, you must, according to God's word, test all things and hold fast to what is good. You test all things. And you got to be careful. Somebody forwards you some, oh, yeah, yeah, you saw this on YouTube, blah, blah. And now you sound just like them. Why? Because that's who you're listening to. That's who's training you. And instead, you need to just get alone, open up your Bible and pray, and let the Lord train you and teach you. So you listen to somebody who's all outraged, you become outraged. You listen to someone that's all into conspiracies, you're a master conspiracy person now. You're reading this, now you're saying this. That's why time in God's Word is so vital and important for you. There is no substitute for Bible study and prayer, none whatsoever. You got somebody like, oh man, everybody's now, they're listening to this and watching this and they're outraged and the church is this and the church is that and they over there and that over there and no longer reflecting the love of Jesus Christ. Be careful because any true teacher of God's word will lead you to yield to the Holy Spirit because really he's the teacher. The Bible says in John chapter 14 verse 26, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, Jesus said, he will teach you all things. So an open Bible, prayer, the Holy Spirit will teach you right through the Word what you need to know when you need to know it as He reveals things to you. So we want to learn to thank God for His discipline. Because yeah, it's true. No chastening, verse 11, seems to be joyful. But afterwards, this is so cool, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. If you submit to the training and discipline of God, you're going to see peaceable, righteous fruit of your life. You're going to see you change and be conformed into the image of Christ. It's a beautiful thing when you submit to the Lord. Yeah, maybe it is the discipline. Perhaps that's the big issue in your life today. You have forgotten that God disciplines. You've forgotten it and you despise it and you don't like it. That God, he disciplines nations. He disciplines governments. He disciplines people, families, community. God brings about discipline to bring us to a place of surrender. And, and he disciplines his own kids. Us. You look out at the world and you say, oh, the world, the world, the world. God doesn't discipline the world like he disciplines his kids. To bring about holiness and separate living, like a, to be set apart for him. And it's wise for us to thank God for his discipline. Because you and I are where we are today, looking back by the discipline of God. We think about it's our obedience and our direction. No, it's our surrender to the work of God in our lives that brings about the progress and maturity and growth in your life. That's so wanted, so needed. 
Well, we hope today's lesson in Hebrews encouraged you to be thankful for God's discipline in your life. We need it, and it comes from a heart of love. We're going through Hebrews one verse at a time with Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Before we part ways, just a few things we want to tell you about. If you'd like to hear today's message again, log on to AboundingGraceRadio.com. Again, we're on the web at AboundingGraceRadio.com. You can also download our free app and access our teachings that way. Search for Ed Taylor or Calvary Church. Each month, we pick out a book to help you develop a spiritual library with the hope and prayer it will aid you in your walk with the Lord. Here in September, we've got a good one to share with you, written by Louis Giglio, titled, Don't Give the Enemy a Seat at Your Table. Would you like to break free from the chains of negative thinking and experience true freedom from unhealthy thoughts and emotions? You can. In this book, you'll discover practical ways to overcome Satan's lies and find peace and security in any situation you find yourself in. Request a copy today when you support Abounding Grace with a gift of $25 or more. You might think of it as our way of saying thank you. You can do that by calling 877-30-GRACE. Again, the number is 877-30-GRACE or order online at calvaryco.store. Don't miss our next study in Hebrews. We'll pick up right where we left off today. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church Colorado here in Aurora. 